Hello and welcome back to the Tez News Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Morris. A little bit later in the podcast, I'll be talking to Senior Editor Dan Worth about what more can be done in terms of regulation when it comes to online safety in schools. And just a note, there are some sensitive topics discussed in that section. But first, I'm joined by reporters Callum Mason and John Roberts. Welcome back both. Hi there. Hiya. We've covered a lot on the pressures on school budgets recently. Uh, Callum, in particular, we've spoken a lot about this on the podcast. And this week, you've come to us with another couple of stories on this issue, right? Yeah, sure. So as you say, it's been a it's been a big issue for a while. We've got a couple of stories this week. The first one is about academy debt bills and how the amount that the government has to waive, um, how much it has to write off, is a lot of people think going to go up in the next few years. So monies that academies owe to the government is sometimes waived to allow it to sort of transfer to another group of schools, another trust, um, maybe if that trust can run it more sustainably. And the cost for this to the to the public purse has basically risen every year for the past few years. Um, and it was about 9 million in 2020 to 21, uh, so during COVID. And sector leaders have essentially warned that these write-offs are likely going to become a lot more frequent in the next few years. And that's for a couple of reasons. So the first one is that more schools are going to join academy trusts. So there's going to be more of these transfers. And the second one is, as we've discussed it's becoming more frequent that schools are being plunged into the red, that they're they're facing deficits because of the financial pressures that they're facing. So some sort of experts in the sector and, and school leaders have warned that they think that these these write-offs that the government the government does is gonna is gonna go up, the bill for that is gonna go up. Um, and they're saying essentially that it would be better perhaps if the money was spent across the system more generally rather than on these individual waivers, which are done. There's not sort of a strict rule for when they're done, but they're done on a one-by-one basis, often behind closed doors. Yeah, so they're basically they're saying if they have the money to write off these debts, why not put it to more kind of direct use somewhere else in the education system? Yeah, so I think that the language uh, Jeff Barton, the uh, General Secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders, used was he said it's sort of papering over the cracks. If you do this each time a school sort of needs to be have their debt wiped to, to sort of rebroker, you you do it you sort the thing on an individual basis but it doesn't sort it on like a system level um and we've had other people as well say it could go these debts could go up and up and up if we keep if we keep doing them on this one one by one basis and that really we need to look at funding in the whole and uh, fund schools directly at a higher level than we are doing now yeah so the thing that strikes me about about that and about jeff's comments is um in a way has it has a kind of an approach to school funding, and he, I think he wants to try and compartmentalise that and say we've we've given schools this amount of funding and this this is the kind of the envelope they've got to work in, and then separately it has its own kind of policy priorities like moving to an entirely multi academy trust led system, and but this I feel like this is an example whereby the funding pressures on schools are kind of spilling over to the point where it kind of interferes with DFE or other DFE policy objectives if that makes sense so. You know, they've got this big ambition for kind of reordering the school system so that we have every school in a multi-academy trust and each of those trusts it has 10 schools in and all of those sort of things that we've talked about in the past. But this is, I feel like this is an example where like the, the rising cost pressures facing the sector and the, the lack of funding, it's kind of making that less possible and kind of will stimulate their ambitions, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, 
is there actually kind of a risk here with obviously there's the government push to to have all of these schools in the multi academy trust are some trusts going to be considering which schools they they kind of take on based on the financial risks of doing so yeah i think that's right i mean i think that i think that a school a governing board or a school will probably have to think when they when they take on a school what's the financial implications of this um, and I think Emma Knight's the chief executive of the National Governance Association. When she spoke to us this story, she said that that governors or, or trusts might have to draw the line at taking on a school whose finances risk dragging other schools and the trust into financial difficulties. So yeah, absolutely, it's got to be a consideration, and it it wouldn't be irresponsible to to do it without considering it. I guess. And I guess we know from other stories that, particularly Callum's written earlier this year, you know, quite a few schools have sort of said, well, we can ride out the financial situation in the short term if we turn to our reserves, but we can't ride it out indefinitely. And you can well see how that, as you say, will translate into schools, multi-economy trusts being more cautious about, about their kind of their, their future strategy if they feel like they're not on a, a certain financial footing, if that makes sense. Um, I, I feel like it's a really, really good story because it's just another example of the way cost pressures are impacting on our sector in a way that isn't necessarily catching the attention of central government which is like in a constant state of turmoil. But nevertheless, these are like real, real problems with, you know, vital public service. Yeah, and I think that debate about spending in government generally, not just in the, in the school sector, but across government departments is just going to run on and on and on. We've seen, um, we've seen Liz Truss, the Prime Minister, give sort of two, she said two different things almost about spending this week, that it, um, she said that the commitments that they've given are absolutely going to stay as they are, which, to be fair, with inflation not so good anyway uh, and then he, and then today she sort of suggested that public spending might not rise as quickly as some expect so i think public sector departments generally are going to be really watching what the government does on spending in the coming months with quite a lot of concern um so it's yeah it's a difficult time of course we've just been talking here about funding but always closely tied into the issue of funding is the issue of pay We've just had another story go up on the website about union action over pay, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So we basically got the government facing increasing likelihood of strike action from the two major, the two biggest teaching unions, definitely in England. Um, so this is Naswit and the NEU, the National Education Union. Um, so they've basically both revealed ballot announcements, I guess, about balloting for, for strike action. So NASWA has said that it's going to ballot its members for industrial action over pay, and the NEU has revealed the results of a, a prelim ballot, which basically shows that the vast majority of its teacher members are willing to take strike action to demand fully funded above inflation pay rise. So they've sort of taken a ballot to do a ballot, if that makes sense. Um, and they've basically shown that their members are happy to be balloted on on taking strike action. So yeah, this is, I mean, it's going to be a bit of a headache for the government, but both teaching unions have said for months now that they're not happy with the pay offers they've got, which are 5% for an average uh, sort of experienced teacher, uh, which is below inflation. They, they don't think that's enough. And they are going to pursue possible industrial action. And I think there's, the reason that's come partly is I think it's been fairly clear now that the, the government's not willing to sort of budge on that on that pay offer that was initially given. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've talked before on the podcast here, Callum, that there's kind of been an issue here as well, where um, 
I mean, teachers aren't happy with that pay rise, but also there was the issue of it being uh, an unfunded pay rise, right? Yeah, that's right. So government uh, government set the budgets for schools at the spending review last October. Um, when that when that spending review was set, this was before sort of this uh, soaring inflation started to hit everyone, households, and and the public sector. So the pay rises that teachers had. 5% is low compared to the rates of inflation we're seeing now, but it's higher than you would have expected a year ago. So out of their existing budgets, they are having to fund these, these pay rises of, of 5%. And a lot of schools are saying that amongst other financial pressures, this is going to be very difficult. So there's two separate issues. There's the fact that they don't think the pay rise is enough. And they don't think, even though they think the pay rise isn't enough, they don't think they've been funded enough to provide even that pay rise. They were expecting maybe a rise of sort of three percent. So they're saying that any any rise needs to be fully funded. They need to be given the cash to allow them to pay their staff at the at the increased levels. And I I think probably the the most significant thing out of um out of the NEU announcement is just the the figures you alluded to, the strength of feeling really. The, in a way, we've known that the union's leadership have been saying these sort of things since the pay decisions were, in, were, were made in the summer. But I think it's striking that 86% of people who took part in the preliminary ballot, teacher members, willing to go on strike over this. Uh, yeah, so it's an online ballot. You don't know whether that will translate exactly into a formal ballot result, but that's, the, you know, that's a significant strength of feeling in the sector, I think, about, about their pay. Um, I guess the government is going to probably face a lot of this kind of thing as the economic situation continues. And it might politically might suit them in a way to be able to try and turn this into a political issue and to, you know, take a political stance, try and try to criticize the unions for what they're doing. Um, I guess it remains to be seen what how this plays out in the public mood, if you like, whether because it obviously has a huge potential to disrupt parents and public life. You know, you only have to think back to lockdowns to see how suddenly everyone realized just how dependent they were on schools to function. If we get teacher strikes at a national level over any sustained period of time. I think it remains to be seen whether people will have um, sympathy with them because they know the, the kind of real terms, cost cuts that we're all, all living through, or whether the disruption will, will kind of play badly publicly, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's really difficult to know, isn't it? Sometimes I think we've seen with some of the rail strikes that have taken place recently. I think at the start, most polling showed that public opinion was a was sort of against those strikes. And I think it has shifted a little bit as time's gone on. So it, it's really hard to read what public mood will be before any any action takes place. And let's also remember, it doesn't, it won't necessarily be strike action. There could be other, other forms of injustice yeah, absolutely. as well. Yeah, one to keep an eye on then. But as always, you can find both of these stories on our website, tes.com forward slash magazine. Uh, thank you again for joining me today, John and Callum. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Just a warning ahead of this discussion, we're going to be talking about some sensitive topics, including self-harm and suicide. So if that is something that affects you, please do whatever is best for you. And if that means tuning out of the podcast now, we will not be offended. Today, we'll be talking about the story of Frankie Thomas. In September 2018, Frankie died by suicide, aged just 15. 
Frankie was diagnosed autistic and attended a special school, and it emerged shortly after the coroner's inquest that Frankie had been accessing inappropriate material online at school, on a school-issued laptop and iPad, including stories with detailed descriptions of self-harm and suicide. Our senior editor Dan Worth spoke to Frankie's parents, Andy and Judy, who are now campaigning for better regulation around online safety in schools. Dan joins me on the podcast now. Dan, a tough but important story to cover, right? Yes, that's right, Josh. This is a obviously a very tragic story and one that, you know, was was by turns sort of difficult and emotional to talk to Judy and Andy, the parents of Frankie about, but also important. And and it felt, you know, this is what we want to be doing is is raising and, and putting a spotlight on important issues. And obviously this is a very, uh, you alluded to, the details of the case are very sad around how she was access, accessing things at school that she definitely shouldn't have been. The school did have a filtering system in place and a monitoring system that was meant to alert staff to people making searches of inappropriate material and stop them accessing and things like that but they weren't working and that really is where the crux of this whole thing comes down to is that in the the coroner's inquest they discovered they weren't working they discovered that the government guidance to schools in this area was lacking they issued a prevention of future death notice to the then education secretaries nadim sahawi which is not you know quite not not a completely rare thing but not doesn't happen that often um and sort of saying you know schools need better guidance on this the guidance has been updated subsequently to sort of give schools more sort of sense of you should check these things. But what what Frankie's parents, Andy and Judy, want to um, do is to have that as a sort of legal requirement mm-hmm. that a school has to test these systems and it has to prove it's tested them through uh, Ofsted inspections. So if Ofsted turns up, they ask to see the records, you, you're testing these systems on a regular basis. So far, they haven't achieved that to the level they want. As I say, the Guidance has been updated. It is more, it is more strongly worded to say you know you have to review them, make sure they're working. But they want it to be a legal thing, like a fire alarm mm. test. It has to be done and proven to be done. And they have been they have done some good work, and that you know obviously obviously, and, and they've spoken to people. They've got people like Michael Gove helping them, the, the Centre for Internet Safety. Um, but they came to us very much because they want to really raise it with schools directly to say, look, we're we're pushing for this legislation change, but if that never happens. The schools need to be aware of this anyway, because they've seen very sadly what can go wrong if, if it's not addressed properly. Yeah, I mean, I got the sense reading the article that, um, I mean, it felt like there were kind of multiple people at stages here kind of passing the buck of whose responsibility it is almost mm. to uh, to regulate this kind of thing. Yes, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, I mean, I, I want to say it's a complex area, but because obviously anything involving technology is, but actually on the fundamental of children are in school, they need to be kept safe. And one element of that is make sure they don't access things on the internet they shouldn't. He's fairly straightforward. Um, and, and if your systems aren't working, you're not doing that element of your job. Um, and I think it's quite clear there from that, that schools do need to have a system and a policy and a process for kind of saying, what do we have installed and does it work? Because I think it's James Browning who's in the piece, he says that a lot of, you know, he sort of essentially says, people often in the past installed these systems and think it's job mm. done. And it's not, you know, installing a, a system installing a fire alarm is the first part of the job. You then have to make sure they're working and make sure they're working ongoingly. Because the moment they stop working, you're in you're in a dangerous situation. Um, and I think that's the real takeaway here is that you know you've, it's got to be done. And and perhaps in time the government will legislate to make it a kind of an actual legal requirement that you test and prove you've tested the systems. Mm-hmm. 
And that was the, um, and maybe you're going to come on to this, I don't know, but one of the things that I, I found particularly interesting in the writing this piece, and I use the word interesting in inverted commas, is when I've sort of put some of these things to Ofsted, they were sort of under the, they sort of said, well, we only test schools irregularly, so it wouldn't really be within our capacity to, to do this testing, you know, i.e. to go into schools and yeah. test and to check they've done the tests. But of course, the whole premise of Ofsted is that it's a sort of surprise inspection and you have to be ready for anything. If they turn up, you can't just suddenly quickly get your house in order. That's not how no. that works. So really, the point is you would be doing these tests and having a log of them on that once every five years they turn up type scenario. Okay. Um, and, and Judy certainly sort of also found that darn strange when I spoke to her about it. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because, I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly technical, literate person. It doesn't seem that hard to keep these these logs and for offset to to uh, take them into account. They both seem like fairly simple things to do. And it seemed in the article, at least, like from offset res- offset's response, that it, it seemed like something they weren't capable or didn't have the capacity to do, which mm. I felt was strange. Yeah, so I agree. Because, I mean, fundamentally, I mean, again, let's, let's admit up front, we're not, this is not our expert domain. So maybe there are more things in the back that we don't mm. know about. But I would agree that surely you run the test you have some form of, you know, the test runs as a as a PDF at the end. You can store and download, print, put in a put in a file mm-hmm. somewhere, however you want to do it. Someone comes in and says, "Can we see evidence of your most recent, you know, internet safety tests?" Here they are. Here's the thing, you know, and it wouldn't be very hard for the companies that provide that software to add a system, you know, add a download PDF button that meant when you run a test, you know, or you, you or here's your daily report that we sent you of all the searches that were conducted yesterday by your students with, you know, terms that were of concern. And maybe maybe for months and months there are no there are mm-hmm. no you know things they come up. Um, I mean, I, I think in that scenario, if you were getting zero responses back, you, you'd actually almost want to question that, wouldn't you? Because you think, well, surely one child somewhere by accident has done this, done a search that it should be flagged. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's what I'm trying to say is that if there's a regular thing of every day you get an email alert, and every day that email alert is stored somewhere, so you can say, look, we have a regular test every day that does this, and once a month our head of IT checks in with the company to confirm that that's the correct set of results they're receiving, whatever it might be. Or they even conduct some searches themselves, you know, and do a test and check to see the email comes back the next day. You can see how important the story of Frankie Thomas is really shows how important that is. Because if you don't do that, if you're not doing those things, you've got a pupil out there who's searching for things and seeing things that ultimately contribute to them, you know, to, to, to dying by suicide. It doesn't, it doesn't get worse no. than that. So you have to be honest. It's not going to go, it, it, you, it's better to be preventative and do these things and it never lead to anything, thank goodness, mm-hmm. than not and just kind of think, oh, I assume it's working. We installed it. It must be working. Why would you take that attitude? But we are seeing some positive progress in this area now following this campaigning, right? Yes, that's right. I mean, Andy and Judy have done some amazing work engaging with DFE and Ofsted. And and to be fair to those organizations, you know, they they haven't just, just turned them away. You know, they've engaged with them thoughtfully. I've seen some of the letters. I think it's fair to say that, you know, they have addressed and engaged with them. Um, and, and some things that have changed, I think most notably is the keeping children safe in education guidance has been updated to say that you, you, schools should be reviewing their filter systems, um, understand the provision in place and, and, you know, regularly, is it, the wording they've used is regularly review their effectiveness. That was the, mm-hmm. that was an addition. And, and that does fundamentally go to what we've just been talking about. But to sort of say you should regularly review their effectiveness is one thing. But what, what Judy and Andy want is to say you must do it. You know, legally, you must do these tests and you must have a log of it and Ofsted will look at it. That would be to them much stronger because saying you should do it is almost a bit like, well, schools may well think they are doing that. You know, and that was the kind of concern around what happened at Frankie's school is that the systems were all there and in place. And obviously it was believed that they were working 
and they weren't. And because no one was sort of being, well, we must be testing this. That's the problem. So the wording has changed. It has got stronger. He's more sort of explicit that you really should be doing this. Andy, uh, Andy and Judy sort of welcome that, but it doesn't go as far as they would like. And you can understand why. Mm. Well, like you said, some great work being done there by Andy and Judy pushing for this. Hopefully we see some more progress in that area. We couldn't really cover every nuance of this story here in the podcast, but the full article is available on our website, tes.com forward slash magazine. I believe that's in front of our paywall. That is, yes, that is a piece anyone can read regardless of subscription um, because it is, we felt it was so important. You know, it needs to be read and shared widely. Um, so yeah, please do access that story and have a read. And, and you know, I think it's one where um, it's really incumbent on schools to sort of heed that message and, and take it forward. And no doubt many, many will be doing this. And, and yeah, I'm sure they are. But I think for those who aren't, who maybe just need to think, actually, do we check that? I have no idea. You know, I think this is the wake up call to go off and go, right, you know, diary, Monday morning, talk to head of IT, whatever it might be, and, and get this. Looked at. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you for joining me again, Dan. Thank you.